Welcome to our newest adventure for first responder wellness. No one fights alone. In-depth conversations about mental health and culture in the first responder space. We're joined by your co-hosts, Austin Pedersen and Brad Shepard. Welcome back to the No One Fights Alone podcast, where we honor the men and women of our nation's first responder community by having difficult conversations about the challenges that they face. Today's a pretty cool episode. I'm Brad. excited about this. Yeah. I, I feel I, like I say that a lot, by the way. I'm excited about every one of them, but I really am excited about this one. Yeah. Well, the opportunity to talk about interesting, cool things is rare. This one's different. It, absolutely. Different, but in a good way. Sure. Because I think we talk a ton with wellness teams, with, you know, everyone about quote unquote therapy yeah, and what that is, modalities, individual therapists, what's working, what's not working. This one's unique. This one will be, uh, we're going to get into the, the, really the brain and science a little bit of, uh, what makes us tick and how we can interact with that. Well, uh, it's a, it's a different, mm-hmm. I, I guess you can consider it a modality, but you know, multiple departments, at least in the state of Utah. Are, are bringing this um, process into their departments, kind of creating almost like a, a quiet room mm-hmm. where, where this can happen. Uh, and, it, you know, the reason they're doing that is because their officers experienced it at Chateau, and, and that is neurofeedback. Absolutely. And I know that there's multiple generations of this and, you know, different ways to do it. Uh, but you know, the reason why I think it's important to, to put this out to, to the listeners is, you know, we had a LA or 25 year LAPD officer, his big issue was going in crowds and, you know, feeling like people were behind him or, you know, the inability for him to defend himself if something were to happen. And he was about 15 sessions in 14, 15 sessions in, and he left and went to the grocery store. And for the first time in 20 years, he had the capability to walk into the grocery store and not feel like someone's going to attack me. I need to have my firearm ready. You know, all those feelings of hypervigilance had drifted away. And that was huge for him. I mean, that was one of the reasons. And he felt like that was neuro. Yeah. And one of the reasons that he had come to get treatment was the fact that he actually drew down on a plastic bag. That's how intense his hypervigilance was. And that's when he kind of realized, like, you know, he heard the rustling behind him and he, you know, drew his firearm and been there. Yeah. And it was a plastic bag. And that was his, oh shit moment of like, sure, I, I need to get this taken care of. So, uh, Brad, go in and introduce our guest. We brought in a specialist today. So, um, our guest today is Mel Warner. Uh, Melissa goes by Mel. Welcome, Mel. The Mel is the uh, wife of our CEO, Danny Warner, uh, mother of four kiddos. And uh, we are excited to have her here, and we're going to be talking about neurofeedback today. Welcome, Mel. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Oh, we're so excited to, to have you here. So let's just get started a little bit about, uh, you know, what's what's your passion with this? What what before we get deep in the weeds on it, what what makes you take on why this is so a big part of uh, your life? Sure. Thanks for asking. Uh, neurofeedback. Uh, my background is heavy in athletics. I grew up with three brothers. Um, grew up in a neighborhood of boys and my favorite pastime was outside playing soccer. So that's passion for soccer led me to be able to play in college professionally, a short stint on the U S national team, but along with being a high competitor also has come four documented concussions on my athletic profile. 
And so neurofeedback for me personally was one of the only modalities that helped me come to clarity of mind. Uh, Brad, you had mentioned that I have four young children. And it was interesting for me to experience after my second and fourth births that I started developing a stutter in my speech, which one could denote with neurological functioning, right? I would, 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 would start to talk and wouldn't be able to get through my ideas, wouldn't be able to process language um, naturally. You know, I would get stuck. And neurofeedback, too, helped resolve that completely. And so I have my, my own personal experience with neurofeedback and then being able to offer it to the community, you know, in the Wasatch Summit County communities, it's been powerful for me to observe transformation in others as well. That's fascinating. So, so just to dig in on that a little bit, because we were talking about the, uh, the officer who, who obviously is, he knows something's amiss. Uh, you know, stuttering is a new part of your life mm-hmm. uh, when it starts to manifest itself in your, in your life. What, tell us a little bit about just, just a brief minute on what was going on with you then? I mean, mm-hmm. were you, were there some insecurities about that? Were you, you know, what were you doing to actually kind of, oh shit, what is happening to me? Yeah. Thanks, Brad, for having me explore that deeper. You had mentioned, uh, I'm Danny's wife mm-hmm. and Danny is 12 years older than I am. And at the beginning of our partnership, we had this grand vision to have family together. And we partnered right before he was 40 years old. Uh, I was 28 at the time. And so we made this verbal agreement to try to have as many children as we could in five years, um, which sounds grand and, and beautiful, you know, when you're talking about it. Sounds like a great competitor yeah. type mi- <laughs> okay, mindset. Okay, you're seeing some of I our, our underlying it. threads, right? <laughs> um, and... Challenge accepted. Uh huh. Challenge accepted. Let's do this. And after my second birth, uh, my first and second child are 15 months apart. And so theoretically, when my first baby was six months old, I was pregnant and starting to develop my second son. Um, after his birth, I wonder if I was so physiologically depleted, not only from the action of childbirth and breastfeeding and sleep deprivation right? I'm taking on life big and admirably going for it, yet wasn't paying attention to the underlying, ah, some of the depletion that was occurring. And it started to express, I think, in that ability to integrate into my external life, you know, through that, that pause, that stutter, that hesitation. And, you know, at, at, during that time too, there were probably there were, I, I won't say probably, there were other opportunities that I can reflect back into where I was coping, but that stutter was some initial primary data information as to how I needed to deepen um, some self-care, how I needed to reflect back and do something to nourish myself. Um, and neurofeedback essentially came in. I feel like I'd be, I'm, I'm dumbing this down a little bit, but and and that's my gift. I feel like also, good, Brad. Yeah, let's, yeah, yeah, let's go there. But this is your body talking back to you. This is right? my this body. Is your body saying, "Hey, something's up here. I don't like what's happening." Giving me information. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And had you correlated the fact that those prior concussions may be contributing 
to that? I mean, had you seen any other symptoms from those TBIs prior to this? The after those TBIs was the only other time that I had that that I had experienced a stutter. And so then 10 years later, here they come back again. Yeah, because that's a huge thing in, in this community specifically. I mean, even my own personal experience with CTE uh, that my father had, the brain injuries is this very serious thing. And it, it can be the cause of a lot mm-hmm. more than people think, right? Big car accidents or, you know, chase it, whatever it may be. It, it affects them down the road for a very long time. Sure. And, and I can share too that... During that time, you know, there would be one straw that would break the camel's back and in, and I would snap into bits of rage too, which can be mm-hmm. uh, correlated with sure. Absolutely. Um, the TBI. Yeah, that's a huge symptom of that is like uncontrolled rage because you also probably, and tell me if I'm wrong, didn't understand why you were so angry. No, right? Because I was in this joyful time of my life. Um, creating family, creating uh, my nucleus of reality and, and my vision. And so out of nowhere, when I would erupt and, and be volatile and then catch myself afterwards, yeah, it didn't feel good at all. It didn't, I didn't feel at peace. I didn't feel content inside. And, and uh, I'm grateful for my experience with neurofeedback because ultimately it brought me back down to my center, to my baseline, so that I could be more aware and navigate from there. Now, this self-awareness, I'm, I'm, I'm curious, were you that in tune before you started on this competitive journey of, of having children? Were you, were you pretty in tune with, I know as an athlete, you have to be. As a, sure. as a competitor, you know physiologically and functionally what's going on with you. But are you that intuitive to your, to your spiritual side of what's really going on with you? Were you there or was this a journey that you arrived to? Is the, in this challenge in life? Yes, great question, Brad. It was the journey. Yeah. Now I can I can reflect back to my younger years and see what a strong will I have, right? That will to compete, to achieve, to dream. Yet ultimately, so often that strong will to be distracted me from the information that was right in front of me, the information that my body was was giving me. Because I was living forward. I actually wasn't living in the present moment. Sure. So it was a new challenge. It's a new challenge. Challenge yes. accepted. It is. It is. So then what? Now we've, now we've got something going on with this. What happens next? What happens next? You know what? Uh, as I have started to deepen my connection with that spiritual side that you've talked about, with slowing down and being content in the, in the present moment, What's next for me is to try to offer this type of uh, experience and exposure to others. Yeah. And, and that's where I've seen neurofeedback come in so powerfully in the, at the Drug and Alcohol Recovery Center, as well as to, you know, common community members as well. Sure. And I think this is a great segue to, because we've been talking about neurofeedback for about five minutes, and I think most people won't know what it is, mm-hmm. honestly. So if you can, give us a, a overview of what neurofeedback is and what the benefits of it are supposed to be. Sure. Neurofeedback is a specific form of biofeedback where we are observing and tracking the movements of the brain 
specifically your cortical activity. The cerebral cortex is the part of the brain that has everything to do with uh, sensory information. And so ultimately, the way we experience life, it's processed through our cerebral cortex, right? Just as you're hearing my voice right now, that information is going through your ears. And we're together. and We're seeing each other. That's visual information. But you have to remember, too, that we're taking in proprioceptive information. Where am I sitting right now? Austin's on a soft couch. That would be kinesthetic information. You know, the brain ultimately is um, this miraculous organ that is taking in everything. But we have to know what to do with that information. And so neurofeedback track and analyzes this data and provides a feedback uh, a feedback loop back to you through the auditory detection network of exactly what is going on in your internal system so that you can see and find erratic patterns of dysfunction and learn to autocorrect those patterns, ultimately bringing you back to a space of real-time processing, real-time integration, and a, a space of peace. You know, uh, we talk a lot in the first responder community of getting into this sympathetic activated response, that fight or flight mode. Neurofeedback ultimately helps you shift out of fight or flight and come back to the parasympathetic mode of function, which is uh, our way of life where we interpret or we perceive our reality as safe, one where we can connect and grow and collaborate and use energy more efficiently than thinking that we've got to run and, and stay safe, stay in survival mode. So we talk a lot about, are you familiar with the window of tolerance? Yes. So we talk a lot about the window of tolerance on this podcast. We've brought, you know, people like Trevor on and, and other experts that have talked about how, you know, the first responder community is, they're, they're really high in that window and they're hypervigilant or they're way down, right? Mm-hmm. It's usually at work versus at home. There's, there's no in-between, right? There's no homeostasis or you know, whatever we want to call it. So you're saying that this will help you go from either the you know, manic, scared, or the I can't do anything, and it will bring you into that, that window. Yes, Austin. It will bring you back to your homeostasis, your center, your neutral ground. And I, too, have been reflecting on the window of tolerance and wondering if neurofeedback actually broadens the window. Yet, as I analyze more, what I think happens is that neurofeedback brings you back to the present moment. And so as you're receiving information that might kick you out of the window of tolerance, you're able to, uh, it's almost like time slows down, you're able to perceive the stimuli, the stress that takes you higher, takes you low mm-hmm. and act accordingly instead of getting so built up that by the time you perceive what's happening, you're already blown out of that window of tolerance. You're already in the manic rageful fit or riding the roller coaster down to, um, you know, an apathetic, depressive, stuck place. And so I do not think it broadens the window of tolerance, but it brings deep awareness into the way we relate to that window. Yeah, because I think a huge part, a huge part of what 
you know, the clinical side of healing is going to be, they're going to say, stay in the present moment, Mm -hmm. right? Be here now in your body, in your mind, feel whatever you're sitting on or, you know, feel around you, smell, see, like those are all grounding techniques. And so, you know, if I'm hearing you correctly, it it helps with that because that's a huge struggle for a lot of people is to stay present. Sure. Well, we, we have these intense experiences, right? Especially our first responder community. Um, you had mentioned Dr. Trevor Wilkins podcast and I too re-listened to, to that. You guys did a great job, that podcast, the angry Viking therapist. And, and he mentions what that, um, a common civilian sees about one and a half to two intense situations in their whole lifespan, mm-hmm. where if a first responder sees between 750 and 800 um, critical events in that 20-year, um, their 20-year their uh, work environment. And, you know, I would predict that they would get stuck in a sympathetic space. Their system would be would be predicting and being ready for in another intense experience over another. And so to come back to the present moment and remember, oh, yes, I'm safe. I'm safe now. Instead of to always have to be prepared for the next bit that happens is, is really, I think, life's biggest tool. It's life's biggest skill. And this is where life happens, right in front of us. But trauma pushes us into different frames of mind and, and then we're not living. You know, I think, I think this would be a great opportunity to actually, uh, fundamentally first responders are very, um, anti anything, uh, especially things that may be unique or new. What would you say to people who, you know, you are obviously, you know, that works for you. Mm-hmm. But but a lot of the people out here listening will say, well, that was great that it worked, but it won't work for me. What would you say to people who would say, you know what, should I try it? You know, how do I sneak it in? What, 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 what are the benefits for me and how can I, how can I make sure that it's not just some another dumb trick? Sure. Uh, somebody's trying to pull over on me. Sure. You know? uh, I would challenge someone to come devote 30 minutes of their time to have a session. Mm. You know, because in that 30-minute session, the brain, uh, excuse me, the neurofeedback is monitoring your brain at 256 times a second. Millisecond from millisecond, it is observing all your hypo-functioning or hyper-functioning and giving your nervous system back real-time information about how you exist in your environment. And so ultimately, it... My elevator pitch often is, is that it's like meditation on steroids. You come in and you experience what it feels like to be clear. And so someone who was stuck in that thinking of, yeah, it's not going to work for me, I would challenge them to, to one time come sit down and, and feel the contrast of what it ultimately is to be back in your body, back in the present moment, and, and back to being open, right? Some of that psychological thinking of, of, no, this won't work for me. Nothing has worked. You know, bring awareness into that thinking. Part of the problem is that you are keeping yourself stuck. You now get open to solutions. And, and this is such an effective, and it's an easy modality to experience. It's non-invasive, 
No, I'm, I would be hooking five electrodes gently to your cranial, um, your cranial space. And you have 30 minutes to sit back and close your eyes and listen to a very melodic playlist of music. And occasionally in that music, you would hear a glitch, you know, like an old vinyl record. La, 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 and ultimately the feedback is in that glitch. Uh, I like to compare it to, you know, if we were all, well, if, if each of us individually was out walking in the woods, it's quiet, you know, you're in this serene environment and out of nowhere, you hear a twig snap to orient yourself to the space. You know, you would look around and see if you were in danger. You're not in danger. It was a twig that snapped. But that twig is information. The neural feedback is helping your own system do the same thing. You're gaining information so that you can see when you're truly safe or, or in danger. And if you can auto-correct the, that hyper-functioning and hypo-functioning within your own system and stay in the parasympathetic mode of functioning and interpretation, um, that's when you start to... Ah, you start to fully express yourself. You know, you're not in these stuck places. You're ready to be open and live. Absolutely. So, you know, my experience with uh, neurofeedback here um, at Chateau uh, was very calming. I won't say that it had any kind of massive impact like our LA friend or uh, the, that I was stuttering, but I always left there very calm. How many times did you do it? I tried to do twice a day. I don't know. I don't remember my count. Uh, it was, I was in competition with a firefighter to try to oh, of up course. the numbers. Yeah. So you had to beat them. So that's something I want to go into right there is. Well, well, I, so if I can pause you a minute, one of the things I wanted to point out when you say, you know, the dumbed down version of non-invasive are these little, uh, little pads that, uh, you know, that I don't know if it's, it's still the same. It's been a minute since I've done them, but it was, uh, you know, softly, connected to your um your skin your exterior tissue somehow uh non-invasive is a nice way of just saying hey it's it's very palatable it's really 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 easy to just lay that on your skin some in some shape form or fashion sorry to interrupt you no we were going we were going down the same road actually so um the electrodes themselves when i do it i personally have a tough time for some reason my mind will not register where they go correctly Mm -hmm. can you talk about that process because they do need to go in a certain spot Mm -hmm. right yes we're placing five electrodes along your cranial space two of them are at your c3 c4 spots of the skull and if you feel into the where the top of your ear is and kind of draw a line to the top of your head You'll feel a bony, uh, a, bo- a bony outlet, a bony ridge in between that space. And you want to place the electrodes just at the valley, maybe an inch and a half above that top of the ear. That is the perfect space to be monitoring all of the information that's going on in, in your cerebral cortex, all the cortical activity. Then I would hook two electrodes to the top of your ears which are active reference points, and then one electrode to the base of your right ear, which serves as a grounding point. And as Brad had mentioned, oh, it's gentle. You know, we're hooking these small metal discs onto the skin with some conductor paste so that we can 
get efficient and effective um, measurement and monitoring of everything that's going on inside of inside of the brain, just under the skull. I'm trying to equate it to something I understand here. So like electrical, right? You have a hot, a neutral and a ground wire. Is that when you're talking about the same thing, like you have to have a grounding source in order for it to circulate. Yes, Austin. Yes. It's never been put like that before, but it makes sense to me. Look at our handyman over there yeah, showing the, up. The <laughs> mechanical, I'm a geek. I mean, it all makes deeper sense when, when we can almost start to see the wavelength and the tracking information that be, is being found. And again, it's all just information. Sure. It's information to let your own self know. It's, it's like looking in the mirror, right? You look in the mirror and you see you. and move forward with that safe tested tried proven let's talk a little bit about who you know we obviously have listeners out there who are not in the recovery community you uh have certainly told us your story that is is not about recovery it's about your uh your stuttering who's who's suited for this what what kind of kind of people would be uh best served by by using this type of neurofeedback? Sure. Uh, My easy answer is anyone and everyone. But a lot of my clients come to me with certain symptoms, right? Whether they're cognitive, maybe um, some ADHD going on, lack of focus, a lot of emotional upheaval going on in someone's life, physical, like my stuttering, the concussions, a lot of PTSD, maybe someone that's not being able to process in the present moment. But ultimately, it doesn't matter what symptom someone comes to me with, because if we can get the nervous system to shift out of a sympathetic state and back into that safe parasympathetic way of functioning, you have extra energy to be delivered to start solving your own hierarchy of needs. And so... I have seen complete transformation with clients. And again, it doesn't matter what, what symptoms they're coming to me with in the beginning. If you can, can get the, the nervous system to, ah, uh, yeah, interpret its reality as, as safe, secure, regenerative uh, in that healing space, ultimately you become your own healer. And that's the magnificence of, of this therapeutic modality. It, yes, the modality helps you with the shift, but ultimately, yeah, it's you. So many times life happens to us and we just become victims to our own, to our own journey and just throw our hands up and say, well, it is what it is. And what I hear you saying, it doesn't have to be that way. No, it never has to be that right? way. Yeah. But we have to have the awareness sure. and the belief first. And the curiosity. And the curiosity. Is there something out there that can work? She just made the ultimate sell to a first responder like yourself. You do this yourself, right? Like that's, it's, it's in control. Yeah. You have control. That's a huge word right there. And you have the power to be the person that is in charge of this in a way, Mm. right? Like you're getting assistance, but that's a huge thing is, is there's not a therapist standing in front of you. Right. And it's a 30 minute session. You're, I'm assuming you're in a quiet room or, or something similar to that. Is there studies out that say, you know, Hey, after, three sessions, here's some of the benefits you'll start seeing or after 10 sessions or are there, are there any reputable things out there that are saying, Hey, these, this is when you're going to really start seeing the effects of this. Sure. 
There are a number of peer-reviewed and clinical studies that have been published by notable journals. Uh, that being said, to pinpoint an exact number where someone has transformation uh, is more theoretical, right? Austin, you're unique genetic, um, you're un unique individual with a different history and genetic code than Brad, and Brad is different than me. But ultimately, along the course of your neurofeedback journey, you will experience a shift. I can't say when it will happen, but on average, oh, if you can get in, you know, eight to 12 sessions and, and moving forward, it just keeps getting better and better and better. For myself personally, um, because I own a system, uh, I have closer, oh, I bet I have about 80 sessions by now. And I am experiencing an incredible phenomena through the way I perceive my environment visually, where I will be going through my day and I'm taking in the normal flow of life, but occasionally I will take a screenshot of, of something that happens, you know, within my day and I'm able to magnify my lens on that screenshot, still allowing the normal flow of information to come to me, but I'm almost, I'm almost able to magnify the pixelations of the visual input coming to me so that I can better perceive and understand it. And I, that helps me in my own life. I, I, as I'm sharing with you, I'm thinking of a first responder type environment. You know, if, if you could come up a uh, across the scene, yeah, that was intense, that, that was chaotic, and be able to oh, go so deep into perceiving and assessing and tracking what was actually going on in that environment, oh, what, a, what a brilliant way to be able to navigate it in, in the best and most effective way possible. You know, this is fascinating too, and we didn't we didn't talk about this side of it, but but uh, you know, sleep. Uh, Matthew Walker's book, Why Why We Sleep, uh, he talks in there about sleep is the greatest life hack uh, that we don't partake in, uh, and oftentimes, and as first responders in this community, um, it's typical six, five, four hours sleep is not just once in a while it's routine it's a it's a commonplace what is there a connection here with um neurofeedback in relationship to uh, being able to sleep uh being able to embrace that yes i believe that sleep is the first uh, symptom that starts to get resolved and if it's not a symptom you're just deepening your sleep experience you know, because again, as we review, if the central nervous system is in a safe, parasympathetically expressed way of function, you're able to turn off at the end of the night. You're, you're, not, you're not waiting for anything to creep up on you while you're in your sleep, or that's not the time that you're devoting to processing. You're in a twig. Yeah. Go to sleep. Right. Shut off. Give yourself that time for... Um, to, to be in off mode and not constantly teetering a little bit into on mode. And truly, if you can get your sleep regulated, then your own hierarchy of needs starts to resolve on sure. their own. Sure. And that's, I'm glad you jumped to this one because this is where 
neurofeedback has affected me is sleep. Now, uh, you know the way I I have a very obsessive, compulsive mind at that night, especially, is I will go over my entire day, and if there's anything that I didn't complete or didn't get done the way I wanted to get done, I'll stay up for hours and hours. So I'd probably say I'm, I'm maybe 20, 25 sessions in. I just do it when I can here, maybe once a week or, you know, depending on the time. And I also utilize a sleep tracker at night to look at deep sleep, REM, you know, all of those type of things. And that was the first, that's probably the primary symptom that I'm seeing from my sessions in themselves is my deep sleep and my REM sleep are more consistent and longer. And then also I have a problem with waking up quite a bit. And the longer I stay away from a session, so say if it's two or three weeks, those numbers actually go down. The deep sleep and the REM go down in in quality. Mm. And I didn't even notice it until last night when I was looking at it and thinking about this podcast and what we were going to go over on the correlation between the sessions and the sleep. Is that is that normal? That is normal. And... You know, as you you were sharing, Austin, I would wonder if some of your spikes in the middle of the night are due to excess cortisol in your system, right? That's just trying to be processed. Ultimately, if you can help your system shut down, I mean, I want to ask you, can you do those obsessive compulsive behaviors after you get a good night of sleep diminish? Are they less or is that a, a constant expression that you have? It's constant, but it's less. It's right. Less. It is less. A hundred, a hundred percent less. It is not. They're still there, and I think I've lived with them my entire life. But the obsessive portion to where I can't focus on anything else, and my partner notices it too. Like that's one of her things where we have a a, a deal of like if she can see when I'm in that mode because I can't focus on anything else other than those thoughts. And she has noticed, we were having this conversation last night, actually, that when I talk about the neurofeedback, that those have, those have lessened. Because I'll try to utilize something else, too, whether it's a cell phone or, you know, a book or any of those type of things. That's usually my coping mechanism to pull myself out of those thoughts. I'll open a book and then hyper-focus on the book to alleviate the obsessive thoughts. But... They, they have lessened quite a bit during those sessions, but then I'll go weeks without, you know, because I just think I'm okay. I think that's a natural process for a lot of people is I've done 15. I feel better. No more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I would challenge you to, to see just from an experimental type mode to see what happens to your system when you're helping it to more deeply integrate you know, all of the demands and commitments that are in front of you, when you're helping all of that stress and stimuli get to an integrated space within your body, is the the Austin that comes out of that integration more regulated. Now, to put a little context to this, what you're speaking, Austin, is not that far removed from um, probably a lot of our listeners out there in First Responderville. Uh, and we can actually put more names to to you know the the vices if you will uh that we try to use to sleep which is you know uh self-medicating type you know over-the-counter medication up to and including alcohol substances of some type that say i I just can't sleep i need to sleep 
And I, I think, I think this is a fascinating conversation to say, hey, here's a, here's a, here's another simple, non-invasive, really easy, but very effective proven technique to not only help you sleep, but regulate your life. Definitely. Calm yourself down. Right. Is it utilized for addiction as well? Are yes. there studies out? Yes. There is, uh, there definitely is clinical evidence that neurofeedback helps with addiction. And to review again, ultimately what we are doing is helping the nervous system get out of that reactive state. You know, you're in the fight or flight. You're having a, a mind that, that can't be slowed down. And so you start to look for solutions in your external environment to help you cope whether that's through the alcohol, whether it's through picking up your cell phone and, and distracting yourself with mindless scrolling. You know, the neural feedback at a foundational level, we're talking at the neural level, the physiological level, will help you shift out of the fight or flight space and into a more responsive space so that then you can identify, whoa, I'm getting ready to cope. My system, oh, I feel the trigger. I feel the urge to go pour that glass of alcohol. Oh, wait, what can I do instead to be more accountable and actionable and empowered in this moment? Yeah. So what I'm hearing, because this is, this is one of those that is really interesting to me. So a craving is normally about five minutes long. Right. There's a ton of studies out that like when someone who is in recovery or is urging to, I mean, anything, drink, shop, eat, like, you know, all those can be addictions. A craving lasts about five minutes. And if you don't feed that craving, it will go away. But if you feed into it, right, it can last days, hours, months. And so what you're saying, the ability that neurofeedback has is to bring you back to the present and pull you out of that thought process of that craving. Yes. Yes. That's pretty powerful because that's, that's what takes people out. The number one reason for a relapse is stress, and then they start to crave to cope. And if they can be in that present moment, which is one of the top you know, suggestions, seems like it could help you be successful. Yes. And, and to simplify that again, right, Austin, the stress the extra information that we don't know what to do with, that's what, that's what triggers us into that fight or flight response. Now, if we can be resolved so that all that extra stress can be processed and integrated at that real-time moment, keeps us in real time. It keeps us cycling and regulating and cycling and regulating again so that we maintain the intentional interaction with life in front of us. So I think we've probably piqued some interest out here uh, with our listeners because this is a fascinating conversation. Uh, just, just by itself, can I live a better life? Uh, should be fascinating enough for somebody to say. So, so there's a lot of terminology running around out there that say, you know, you hear, you know, hear terms. Um, and you and I were having this conversation a little bit yesterday by text you know, neuroplasty and uh, neurofeedback and biofeedback, you know, if somebody's actually asking what, well, you know, maybe uh, biofeedback, what, what can you tell the listeners? Maybe what are they the same? Uh, neurofeedback is a specific type of biofeedback. 
biofeedback specifically is getting real-time information about different parts of the body. So you might use an EKG to assess muscle tension or probably the most common way for that the listeners would understand is if you had a watch that assessed your heart rate and your heart rate variability. That is real-time information from the body where if you're walking on a, when you're walking on an even street, your heart rate beats so many times per minute. But when you start to hike up the mountain, the heart rate increases, right? We're getting, we're getting that real-time instantaneous information. Neurofeedback, on the other hand, is the real-time information and data tracking of what's going on in the brain. And as the brain is this miraculous organism that controls everything to do with life, it controls the way we perceive life, the way that we deepen into our experiences. Are we safe enough to really engage and connect? Or do we interpret this environment in a fear-based mode where we have to retract? It's all going on within our own network of the central nervous system. And that is the information that neurofeedback provides us with. So if, if a listener is thinking, uh, I'm, I'm interested, um, you know, and, and words obviously mean something. So they're looking for uh, neurofeedback, uh, you know, and not all of our listeners are here local. You know, we've found that these listeners are from coast to coast. Uh, and we absolutely love that. But if I was looking for, I was somewhere other than Midway, Utah here in hometown, uh, how would I find, how would I find that? Where would I go? How would I look something up if I'm interested? This, this is something that I want to try out. How, how do I go about finding that in my hometown community somewhere? Sure. You could start by simply Googling, right? Neurofeedback and seeing what type of practitioners are in your local area. But I would also recommend to call your local hospitals who should have a number of resources of this, um, of this type to be able to point you to, di- to direct practitioners uh, that could help you with that experience. Is it becoming more popular? Because I know that like even five years ago, this was definitely a harder thing to find. Like there wasn't a ton of options or like single practitioners that you could find, but is that, has that changed? Yes, I believe it is becoming more popular. I want to share that a decade ago, the American Academy of Pediatrics recognized neurofeedback as being as effective as medication in treating ADHD. So there's that recognition and that proof, right? Wow, that's powerful. Can you repeat that just for our listeners and and myself as well? The American Academy of Pediatrics in 2013 recognized neurofeedback as being as effective as medication for treating ADHD. That being said, and to answer Austin's question, how many households are utilizing neurofeedback versus jumping to the quick fix of getting a prescription stimulant to band-aid some of the symptoms that child, adult, individual is experiencing, um, I think that's why neurofeedback is, is not found everywhere. 
because it takes a diligence and openness and some time and work to have these experiences versus you know taking a quick fix of swallowing a pill and and numbing some of the the behaviors that are giving us deeper information from the body um to austin there are lots of competing tools and interventions you know so a lot of times we're moving forward with what's in front of us and again what is easy ultimately to start to utilize neurofeedback as a primary therapeutic modality is is so effective um, and I, I hope that it starts to become a more prominent therapy that's being used. You know, this, uh, uh, this natural medical community is growing uh, so much. I myself see a, a naturopath a doctor that is absolutely fascinating because I, not to get in the philosophical or political realm of pills, but the reality is, uh, you know, a lot of times we're being fed pills when there are other options out there that we don't know about. And I absolutely love this conversation because this is this is such a great uh, opportunity to open your eyes to say hey there's there's other things out here that are better arguably uh, and obviously great options to your health that aside from taking a pill definitely you know and and to assess that more deeply right there's there's not a right or wrong way to do life you know, we, we go through life and have different experiences and, and learn from those experiences. But I will say there, there's a more optimal way to do life. And it, it has to do with being in touch with how these experiences make us feel, what it brings out of us. Does it keep us in that safe space or does it open us up to learning and growing and, and developing more of our self-expression? And that is something that neurofeedback can help you can help you experience so many of us are stuck in the same over and over and over and truly neurofeedback allows you the contrast uh, to know the difference between being stuck and being open and ready to engage more in in your life experience again i'm i'm gonna first responder dumb it down so you're talking about this just as a whole within your life, making your life more palatable, more, more presentable, more pleasant, more peaceful, uh, just by spending a little bit of time with a neurofeedback practitioner uh, of, of maybe eight to 12 sessions or more. Um, it sounds fascinating. It yes. sounds absolutely, absolutely amazing. That was great. Thank you. Absolutely. I, was I great. It. No, thank you for, for coming on and, Speaking on something that I think, I mean, this is a personal belief, once again, I think is so important for people to look at. I mean, in this community, one, if you're listening and, and you have a child that was, you know, or is suffering with ADHD, or this could be a different option, right? And for those that are also, I don't like this term, but medication resistant or, you know, don't want to take medications, it's sitting right there for you. I don't think it should be just those with, um, family of ADHD. I think this should actually prick the curiosity of, of all facets of the human existence uh, with this. Will this help my life be better? Will I live a more peaceful and serene life by utilizing this very easy, simple uh, form of neurofeedback modality? Yes. You know, ultimately, will I live my life? I think is the base question 
versus will I react to my life? Will I jump mm. to those coping mechanisms? Will I, ah, oh, will I, can I be me in my environment? Yeah, it's an effective modality. The, the nice me, the fun me, the not the blowing up me. Yes. Right, yeah. And we all know who that is. At our core, we know who that person is. Uh, and oftentimes when we're not that person, we don't like who we are. So we're looking for other ways to cope, like that word. So Mel, thank you so much for coming on and educating us on neurofeedback. You've been, uh, you've been a real delight to have on. Thank mm, you so much. Brad and Austin, this was fun. Thank you. Chateau Recovery is a 16-bed treatment facility nestled in the foothills of the Wasatch Mountains in Midway, Utah. Chateau's First Responder Resiliency Program is designed to treat the unique challenges and issues that first responders encounter in the course of their careers. Chateau's comprehensive and highly individualized approach to treatment addresses more than just the presenting issues. It addresses the why. Each of their seasoned, trauma-trained, and culturally competent therapists utilize evidence-based, specialized therapies to treat trauma at its core and enable clients to begin the healing process while developing a resilient and healthy relationship with stress. Chateau Recovery is trusted by departments and agencies from around the country to treat responders and veterans. In fact, it is one of only a handful of facilities nationwide that is vetted and approved to treat members of the Fraternal Order of Police. For more information or to speak to a representative, go to chateaurecovery.com or call 888-507-5031. No One Fights Alone is also sponsored by First Responder Trauma Counselors. First Responder Trauma Counselors are subject matter experts in proactive behavioral health care for frontline workers through their National Peer Support Academy. This 40-hour all-badges, all-uniforms, and all-scrubs educational experience helps to create caring, honest, and empathetic peer support relationships with your fellow frontline workers. The FRTC National Peer Support Academy is taught by actual first responders who have gone back to school to become culturally competent, licensed behavioral health clinicians that teach from lived experiences, not just theories from books. This fast-paced, immersive educational academy will not just change your life, it will help you save the lives of others. For additional details, visit 991overwatch.org or call 970-222-419-3. This could be the most life-changing academy you'll ever attend.